everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the Camera Rooks Podcast. All right, so on this one, we've got a very special edition. Um, a couple of weeks back, my colleague Joel Junker interviewed some alumni for an alumni podcast, and it was basically focused on career management and work-life balance. And so Joel found some alumni that had come through the conference many years ago. As a matter of fact, there is 39 years of combined experience between our three alumni. He invited Melanie Nye, who's a former Air Force Intelligence Officer who transitioned in 2010, Carl Case, a former Navy Surface Warfare Officer who transitioned in 2010, and then Mike DeBach, a former Army Aviation Officer who transitioned back in 2004. And so they had a long conversation. It was about an hour and 20 minutes. So I basically split this episode into two parts. And so on the first part, really it's focused mostly on Melanie and Carl and Mike giving helpful advice in and around career management. So Joel asked questions like, you know, why is career management the number one topic that we hear and from our alumni in terms of wanting more information, talked about what a five-year career map might look like for someone two or three pivotal investments or decisions that that these alumni made that might be helpful to you. And then and then they really get into an interesting conversation about an MBA. And I don't think Joel had the intention of asking about the MBA, but the way the conversation went, you really started talking about the value of an MBA. Should I, shouldn't I, if I do, when do I when do I get that? And so I cut the conversation after that section of the MBA. And so this is going to be the first episode in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll introduce the second half of the conversation, so stay tuned for that. Of course, before we get started, if you want to know more about who we are, what we do, you can find a ton of information on our website, Cameron-Brooks.com. Okay, without further ado, let me bring in the conversation with Joel, Melody, Carl, and Mike. We sent out a survey to, to our alum, and we heard back that the two biggest topics that you all wanted to hear back from uh, was how do you manage your career for promotion or how do you handle career management? Because I think it's even bigger than promotion, which I'm looking forward to learning more from Carl, Melody and Mike on, on career management hacks. And then second, how do you balance your work and life? Which sometimes when you're trying to gun for managing your career and get that promotion, sometimes that work-life balance in my, in my experiences, it kind of gets in the way. So I look forward to, to spending time with you all. And I'm going to introduce our, our panel. First, we have uh, Melody. I'm going to mention, introduce Melody here. Melody yeah, transitioned from the Air Force in um, 2010. And she transitioned to Kraft Foods into a marketing position as associate brand manager and in 2013, she moved to uh, Mars Pet Care, and she's held several marketing brand management positions and is now a senior marketing director for Mars Pet Care. So, Melody, if you wouldn't just take yourself off of the, turn on your camera and fill in what I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't do, I was just giving the introduction, but tell the group a little bit about you and, and uh, maybe some background to help them where you're coming from in your in your kind of a, your experience that's going to come through in this career management and work life balance tonight. 
Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Joel. So great. Um, great to be here. Thanks so much for asking me. Um, yeah, as Joel mentioned, I transitioned through Cameron Brooks out of the Air Force in 2010 after spe- spending seven awesome years as an intelligence officer. Um, started out at Kraft Foods as an ABM. That's where I was placed. Uh, had a great um, director who also himself was a Cameron Brooks alum. I think there's probably several of us like that around here. Um, and then made the switch to Mars, where I've been for the last eight years. Um, I lead um, our dry dog portfolio of brands at Mars. So brands you guys probably heard of, Pedigree, IMS, Neutro. Those are some of our bigger brands. Um, and I live in Nashville. I'm married, and I just had a son this year. He is eight and a half, exciting months old. Uh, and so I, I do now feel more more able to address this work life balance uh, question that Joel is talking about. So, so that's me, and excited to be here. Excellent. And I do want the audience to know, just so because I knew Melody was going to be here. I have one of my dogs who's 15, actually, that we got him from the pound many years ago sitting behind me. So if you hear him making a little bit of noise, he just always loves being in here with me. And I thought, Hey, we got melody here. So I might as well um, chime in with my, my, my plug for Mars pet care. Absolutely. That's what we love. I have yeah, my no. puppy laying next to me too. So I'm that's trying to get cool. Chuck to let us take our pets to work. I'm not, yeah, sure come on, come on, Chuck. I'm not sure it's going to work. Okay. So the next one we have here is Carl case. Transitioned from the Navy to uh, Ernst & Young, now EY, also in 2010. Carl is now a partner and an enormous champion for GMOs, as, as all three all three of our alum are. Uh, I should have said that about a melody as well. And leads the financial crimes compliance technology practice in the U.S. And Carl, uh, if you turn off your turn on your video, excuse me, and introduce yourself and um, we'll, the group can get to know you as well. Well, thank, thanks for that, Joel, and uh, appreciate the uh, the invitation here tonight. Uh, you know, like uh, the the rest of the panelists here, I think uh, you know very grateful for the uh, the transition help. Uh, you know, now back in the day, and uh, looking forward to the discussion here tonight. Um, as Joel mentioned, uh, transition to EY uh, into the consulting space and into uh, what what sounds like a pretty niche area in financial crimes technology. Um, back in 2010, and have basically uh, grown up through the practice um, over the last 11 years, and uh, uh, about three years ago, took over operating the practice as as the lead partner. Um, so have worked with uh, a number of uh, global financial institutions. If you think about uh, the, the biggest banks in the world, um, probably most of them have been my clients at one point or another. Uh, during my career and, and work with uh, a great set of individuals, including uh, some more Cameron Brooks alum uh, that, that we continue to hire and have hired along the way. Um, so looking forward to the discussion and uh, thanks, thanks everyone for joining in here. Thank you, Carl. Um, and our last panelist here, only his last, just because he transitioned in 2004. Um, he's not quite as old as I am, uh, but I did want to put him last. For that, so he's a former army officer, uh, uh, Mike DeBach, that transitioned to Nextair Energy in 2004. And Mike, I think I have this right because we actually didn't connect before you made a little couple of changes. But spent 13 years with Nextera before I think taking one year off from Nextera and being the CEO of the Economic Council for Palm uh, Palm Beach, Florida, returning back to Nextera 
and now is the executive director for business development and digital trans transformation. Um, and I've been able to stay in touch with Mike a few times over the years and always great to connect them. So Mike, if you would take yourself off video, introduce yourself uh, to the group. And again, thank you for being here. Hey, no, no worries. Good evening. I'm the, I'm the guy from Florida and I'm wearing a sweater. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's colder than 80 degrees. And so I had to put on a sweater today. So uh, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Joel. Um, you are a, uh, you are an ambassador for all of us and uh, what you and the Cameron Brooks team do every day uh, makes a difference, not only for the military officers that are transitioning, but for the companies of, uh, of our great country. So thank you and the team at Cameron Brooks. Um, I'm, uh, I am an 04 alum. Um, I'm a unique guy uh, at the conference that I was at. Um, not only was I there, but my sister was there. I know, um, by the way, I almost asked her to be a panelist too. It's like, no, that's going to be too weird. That'd be too weird. So my sister and my brother-in-law and I were all at the same conference. And so the competition, um, the competition was on. So I, uh, I had an opportunity to join uh, NextEra Energy, which is the uh, largest renewable energy um, company in, uh, in the world, um, and uh, grow my career at this company through our supply chain, um, from our supply chain into international business development, where I was responsible for our Canadian market growth. Um, then I went to Europe and was responsible for our Spanish energy um, sector, then returned to the United States and developed gas infrastructure, natural gas pipelines, all through the southeastern and mid-Atlantic states. Um, I did take a year off from the company to, uh, to drive a political agenda in the state of Florida, um, then returned back to the company to uh, facilitate a integration of a large utility that we bought, and I'm now leading the transformation of our renewable business so that we can grow um, our market share and speed to market. So that's my journey. Um, I'm married with two beautiful kids. One's a, a freshman at SMU um, in Dallas, did not get her to a military academy, and uh, and the other's a freshman in high school. So um, we uh, we found a home in East Coast, Florida, in the great state of, or the great town of Jupiter. Very good. Thank you, you all. So first of all, for all the alum that are participating to learn here, the chat is open and just start chatting in questions as we go. And I have my colleague, Hope Nunnally, um, who is, works remotely for Cameron Brooks here in uh, uh, Auburn, Alabama. Her, uh, she owns our Auburn office, if you will. So we're, we're broadening, actually. Her spouse has a job in uh, sports communications with Auburn University, so she's based there. So she'll be monitoring that and getting uh, texting me with questions that you guys all are asking. But I thought, you know, I thought it was really interesting. And I, and I don't know who wants to take this first. Why, maybe what's, why do you think it is probably from a lot of the, uh, your first five, six year alum, I would think, why do you think the number one thing is like, how do you manage your career progression? It seems to me when I'm talking to a lot of our alum in the first year, and we do a lot more of that now, by the way, the three of you, we, we now have a program six-month call after we place them to check in with them. And the number one question I get is, hey, how do I start thinking about my promotion and my managing my career track? And sometimes like, man, that seems so early to be doing that. But, but I put myself in their shoes and you're in the military, you're six months into your first role, you're already thinking about what's the next coming next. So, you know... Maybe I throw it to one of you. How come you think this was the number one topic? And what do they mean, do you think, what progression means? So, Joel, I'll take a stab at it. I think it's probably the hardest, um, a hardest cultural transition for, for us as military officers, right? Because we have a very prescribed program in the military. 
Um, to the extent that you don't do something illegal, um, immoral, or unethical, right? There's a relatively deliberate path to progression. Um, when you enter corporate America, that deliberate path erodes. Um, you are now in this sea of uh, <laughs> in this sea of unknowns. And whether somebody gets promoted within a year, and somebody gets promoted within six years, and somebody gets promoted within eight years. Um, we're all kind of confused because there's not that deliberate path. My first advice is to ignore um, to ignore what others do and focus on deliberate execution every single day. Um, what we as military officers bring to corporate America, I still believe, is a prized possession. Um, we've hired a whole slew of military officers here at Nextera, um, and we focus on execution and the results drive career path. Um, so number one is always focus on the on the execution and on the results. The second is establish a mentor, um, not your immediate supervisor, not your immediate supervisor, supervisor, but find a C-suite executive that you connect with naturally, not unnaturally, but naturally, and allow that C-suite executive and you to journey together in a mentor in a mentor mentee relationship. And I think that's extraordinarily uh, powerful. And the third, and, and this is a um, a dose of my own medication is, is a pill of patience. Um, in corporate America, um, you know, we move fast when we need to, and we move slow when we, when we want to. And, um, and career progression is not always the fastest thing on the planet. Um, if you want to derive and direct your own career progression in corporate America, I always say leave corporate America and become an entrepreneur um, because then you're CEO of yourself. Um, but as long as you're in an enterprise with greater than more three, more than three people, and you're not the CEO, you will never directly control your career. And that's something that you have to rely on your performance and your network to, uh, to advance. Melody, or, or I'm going to let you come in because there's a specific question that came in for Carl. So do you have anything to, to, to chime in on, you know, what, what does progression mean to you? Does it mean differently than maybe it did in the first one or two years now that, you've been exposed to so many different things. Yeah. Yeah. I think Mike is totally right in saying like, it's non-linear a lot of times and that, that ambiguity can be really tough to handle, right? It's not laid out in front of you and you kind of have to chart your course. I think coming from maybe the, the softer business side in, um, in, in specialty in marketing and really connecting with consumers in consumer packaged goods, it's, it's so much about relationship building in, in the organizations that I've been in. And, you know, um, you know, Mike kind of talked about it. I'll just build on like getting to know people and letting them know you. Like what we are about is delivering results and building high performing teams. And that is really valued. But if the, the senior executives around you kind of don't know you and don't know what you're about, they can't be there for you. And it's definitely those sponsorship relationships that help you get where you where you want to get. I think a lot of times where I see JMOs maybe go wrong out of the gate is you know we have this like I will absolutely do this no matter what on my own and if I ask for help I'm weak and um, it's actually very counterproductive to building your career. I think people want to want you to ask for help, want to give you advice, want to coach you. And if you can find someone to Mike's point that you naturally connect with to coach you, you're just going to be so much more successful. And out of that vulnerability, I think you'll really see your career really take off. Great, great point, Melody, in terms of reaching out and people want to help you. I don't want to, I want to get Carl here and here in a second as a question for him. 
Um, I have a daughter that's the total opposite of me. I'm an introvert, which people people don't know about. I don't. It's probably why I'm really good at a small company. Um, but I, it's, it's struggle for me what Melody says to, to go out and get people engaged. And I got a, my oldest daughter just started her business career as an engineer with Stryker uh, Medical, um, and she's supposed to be working remotely three days of the week, two days in the office. She's going in the office most of the days. So it's like, why are you doing that? She says, I just need to go in. I'm scheduling appointments with managers and people from other departments because I just got to get to know these people. And she's not even gunning where she wants to go next. She just wants to have these relationships. And it's ultimately how she got the, the she didn't get through Cameron Brooks. She, in fact, my brother-in-law is very high up. He didn't get it through him. She did an internship on her own in regulatory affairs and did it, had networked. Um, through lunches and into the engineering department and they got an interview and I thought, that's exactly it. She's not thinking about what job do I want, but what relationships, who do I need, what do I need to learn? What do I need to grow? Who do I need to know to sponsor me in this? But Carl, you got a, you got a, somebody out there that works for uh, maybe not the same financial crimes practice, but one of your, your, your practice, your competitors um, in the consulting industry. And he says, how the heck did you make partners so fast? Which is actually a great question. How? Well, I know because I know you. You're 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 like the other two panelists here. You're amazing. But what did you do? What happened? How did you get there? Yeah. So um, you know, I'd say there's there's probably two elements to it. One one of which I think uh, Melody and, and Mike touched on, right? Which you know I I thought was somewhat unique to consulting. But you know, I, I always like these panels because you get to hear another perspective. And uh, you know, that's that's relationships, right? And so as much as uh, you know, any job, I, I think relationships are key in consulting. I think we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, finding coaches and, and mentors in your career. Um, but, you know, my, my number one rule in, in terms of guiding my career was find smart people and make yourself indispensable to them. Um, you know, if you're, if you're the right hand for the smartest guys in the room, I mean, eventually you get included in that smartest guys in the room group. Um, and uh, it, it, it propels your, your career forward, right? Um, building those close relationships, making yourself indispensable to, you know, the guys that are getting stuff done uh, means that you're also getting stuff done. And, and it, in, in most cases, it's going to be the strategic, important things for your organization. Um, the, the other one, I, I think, is, you know, common sense, but, you know, sometimes maybe not, is just... Uh, you know, putting, putting in the time, putting, putting in the work, um, uh, you know, some of the stuff I picked up along the way from Cameron Brooks and uh, Roger's old uh, sage advice on uh, doing your homework and uh, putting in the extra time definitely paid dividends, right? For, for years, uh, I was probably one of the earlier guys into the office. I would be one of the later guys to leave. And, and that's not to say that you have to work longer or work you know, harder, not smarter. I'm a big proponent of working smarter, not harder. But at the same time, you know, if you get an extra 30 minutes or an hour a day, that adds up quick. Uh, when, when uh, especially in a space where, you know, knowledge is power and, um, you know, what you're able to get done for your clients um, can sometimes be pushed that extra 10% with that extra hour a day. You know, as you were telling me that, it just reminded me of that, that great book. I'm sure some of you that are here a little bit older, Randy Pausch from the last lecture, 
um, book talked about his life before he passed away and he had terminal cancer and he made uh tenure at Carnegie. I think it was Carnegie Mellon. You're like, how did you do that? And he said, listen, you're not making tenure just because you're just here. I work hard. I'm here later. I'm here first. I'm early at getting things done. I just go the extra mile. Uh, so Carl, as you said, that reminded me of that book. And so those of you that have not read the book, it's not about great career progressions, but it is. It also help you think about work-life balance as we get into that second subject. Um, so as we go to this next, another question, we won't get to all the questions that I created ahead of time, guys, because we're already 20 minutes into this thing. We could be here all night. Um, yeah. So how, right? Actually, I'm not really an expert at this because Cam Rook's career progression was like survive, right? <laughs> His laugh was like survive Roger Renee. And I love him to death, but it was like just survive and work hard. And I did, and I outlasted other people and delivered value. So I don't have a great one, like as Mike says, and a group of three, how do you do this? So how do you create a map? Let's see if you're, you're one, two, three, four. How do, you, how do we talk to our alum that are here in their first five years? And there might be alum that are here longer. Uh, they're like, what would you say to them to be saying, okay, how do you create a map? How do you create a plan? Is there a plan? I don't direct it at any of you because I don't know who wants to go first. I can start. I can start this right. Um, um, so I get I get asked this a lot by people. And, you know, we also hire JMOs um, over here at Mars as well. There's a few of us floating around. You got to know where you want to go. Like, that's the biggest thing when people come to talk to me, right? You got to tell me where you want to go. And I think where, where people fall down is like, like, it can be ambitious, right? Like I can say, I want to be the chief marketing officer of a global company, but I got to tell you where I'm going. And then you can help me get there because, because like we talked about before, career progression isn't linear. There's a bunch of op options, right? It's kind of like the, the old books where you could like choose your ending and go to whatever page you wanted to go to. I could be a general manager, right? I could be um, a marketing professional, but I got to say where I want to go and then enroll people to help me get there. And then you kind of look at the steps along the way. So if that's my North Star, if I say when I hang all this up, I if I'm not going to be happy unless I was a chief marketing officer, then I need to back that train all the way up and begin to move towards that path. Um, and I think that's, that's really important. Um, and then the other thing I always tell people is you got to learn and develop along the way. Don't take a job just because you think it looks good on your resume. Take a job because it's going to bring you skills that you're missing. It's going to make you better in areas that, that maybe you're not as good at. Like that is also critical. People who lean into the hard stuff, the hard jobs, the jobs nobody else wants, those are the people who, who end up really accelerating their careers. Melody, no, Chime in. I'll go through that back over. We just have this this uh, document that just went out, not for the alum, but for our uh, prospective candidates. And it's advice from C. We have several of our alum that are CEOs now, right? and some of their CFOs. And there's a, a gentleman named uh, John Tunison, former Navy nuke officer. He's the CFO of Trustway Manufacturing, and it was the number one piece of advice he gets. He said, take the hard jobs. He said, I look back at my career. I took jobs exactly that. So it was going to look good. It was going to pay more, better location. I was like, it didn't do anything to help me get to my ultimate goal of where I wanted to go. So such such great advice. Somebody was going to jump in and I said. I yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, it's often said, you know, folks will ask me, like, why did you take that job? Because nobody else would take that job. 
is my answer, right? You know, being being an outlier in assuming calculated risk is totally fine. And if you're confident in your capacity to lead and subsequently your capacity to execute, then there really is no risk. Um, because when Carl said you surround yourself with smart people and as the leader, you can inspire that intelligence and then you can execute that's that's the success that's the, that's the success equation without question. However, I think it is important to ask ourselves why do we work, right? And if our goal is to be CEO, um, there is a very deliberate path to set that goal. If our goal is to be a balanced human being, um, there is a deliberate path to set that balanced human being. I live by an equation called the five F's. It's not mine. It's John Maxwell's, and the five F's are faith, family, finance, fitness, and fun. And I'm a former Apache helicopter pilot, so we would measure everything. We'd have gauges that would tell us whether we were in limits or out of limits and, you know, in, information tell us whether we were within the range of a certain target or not. But that faith, family, finance, fitness, and fun equation, right, can be very, very clearly measured. And remember that a job is a source of finance, which is one element of a five-element equation. I'll leave you with that thought. Each of you will think of it differently and absorb it differently, but there is a five, five, five variable equation to which income represents one of the five variables. Man, as you say that, I feel very fortunate, at least with my career, with what we do at Cameron Brooks. It's not only finance, but we, you know, we get to have some fun and, and we don't have to check our values at the door. So it's a small private 20 person company. We can have the faith, bring in our faith and, uh, and so, as you mentioned, I've not heard the five S from Maxwell, and I know you're tied in really well to them. So, hope if you're listening, can you find a link to that and drop that in the chat, maybe for the group to take a look at? Um, I'd like to take the next question over to Carl. Carl, if you look back over your career, again, amazingly successful. You're sponsoring so many GMOs, and obviously building a practice that maybe ten years ago they didn't even have a financial crimes practice. What are like the two or three pivotal moments, decisions that you made, investments that you made that hey, you think that other people that are going through this journey might benefit from? Well, uh, there, there's a story. Uh, there's a story I like to tell folks that that dates me a little bit. Um, you know, uh, from from my very first project at EY, I, I got here. Uh, very first project. You know, talked to some folks on the ground. You know, asked them. Hey, so so, what do we really need to know to do this? And they go, um, for, you, for you techie guys, you'll you'll understand this. You you probably need to know SQL, uh, which is a database query language. You know how you access data, and uh, you could you could probably use some Python coding too. Uh, and so I, uh, this is how I date myself. I went to the bookstore um, and picked up you know, SQL for dummies and and learn Python in, in 21 days and um, you know, got to, got to work. Right. So, um, found out the technical skills that were, were needed to do the job. This is again, you know, going back to Roger Cameron's advice, you know, go do your homework, um, and went and did the homework. And I think that laid the foundation for uh, a lot of success on that, that first project and, and a lot of subsequent projects that required this, more technical skill set and to really dig in and understand, right? It, it wasn't just about managing people and, and moving things. 
in, in project deadlines from place to place, but really digging into the content and the technical knowledge uh, that was necessary and, and proving yourself to other technical experts at your company, at your clients in that space that, that you could hold your own. Um, so, so to me, that was a big pivotal moment. Um, the, the other, and, and this question I, I think comes across a lot um, with JMOs is uh, value of an MBA. So I, I did uh, ultimately go and pursue an MBA while I was uh, with EY. Luckily, the, the firm sponsored me um, for that, but it was a big goal of mine. And I found that um, I started it about five years, uh, five years into my time at the firm, um, which I think was the right point. I, I, I had good um, corporate experience um, that I could apply in the classroom. And uh, at that time, the thinking around business strategy, uh, competitive advantage, um, you know, pricing structures, et cetera, were, were all very appropriate for that next step into my career as a partner, starting to strategize, you know, where where we would focus our, our efforts, our people coming up with new products and services. So I, I think those those two elements, right when I started, and then, you know, then making that next step to partner and more strategic thinking were were two big moments for me. Carl, I'm glad if we could stay on that. And this goes for everybody. Let's let's go into the NBA. Can we go back to these six month check in calls? I just had a minute as we were creating this 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 panel here and getting this rolling. I had a series of six month check in, and I went in a row like Joel. Hey, what, what can I help you with today? We start the call. Well, Joel, I think I got to get my MBA. I go, how am I supposed to start my MBA? I was like, whoa, you're just there six months. Everything we've just talked about, you should be thinking about how can I deliver value? How can I crush it? How can I give results? Who can I build mentors with? But how should be people with you? I know you, we all have our own unique experiences where we are, it might be different for every company, but maybe together we could come up with like, or each individual, how should one be thinking about their MBA in the first, maybe let's just start with a year. When do they start thinking about the MBA and why? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. So I um, personally, I had actually gotten my MBA part-time while I was still in the service. Um, because I didn't want to, didn't know what to do with my life. And, um, I, I majored in, weren't you in Hawaii when you got that, by the way, or something like that? I know, I know. I can tell you what you do with your life in Hawaii. I know. I, um, I majored in foreign languages in undergrad. That was what the uh, government saw fit. They wanted me to learn Russian. So, uh, I did. Um, and I thought, you know what, that's not very useful down the line. So I should pick up an MBA because that seems pretty, that seems like it generally be more helpful. Um, and what I what I what I would say, what I tell people is, don't do it in the beginning. Kind of like Carl said, you got to learn your career, you got to learn your profession, you got to add value, you got to figure out how to be an effective member of that organization and that team. But I do tell my people, education is never wrong. Getting more education is never a bad idea. Um, and I think for a lot of us, that what it gives us at a minimum is the, the language to talk to other people on some of these other topics. I think for me, it was finance. Um, as a marketing person, I don't do P&Ls day to day, but I'm responsible for one and I need to be conversant with one. Um, and that was like, I studied foreign languages. That was an area I was lacking. For other people, it's supply chain, right? So I just think, um, I think it's important. I think education will always help you, but in the beginning, you just gotta focus on delivering where you are and hit the ground running. 
I'd agree with that. I, I, I think about it. I got my MBA. Um, I joined corporate America in 20, in 2004. I got my MBA in 2014. I think it was about 10 years post, um, post transition. Um, I look at it like this. It's like, uh, we all come out of the basic course and we go out and be platoon leaders in the army. Right. And we progress as platoon leaders. And then there's a natural point where you know that you need more training in order to be an effective, you know, uh, staff officer and to be like a three, right? Or something of this nature. So off you go to advanced course, you come out of advanced course, and then you've got that incremental, you know, training to be able to go and be effective, you know, staff officer in a, in a battalion or in a brigade and stuff of this nature. So I think it's the same thing in your corporate journey. There are points in your corporate journey where you will realize that it's time for more education, right? Like I was running a development team in Canada and my boss kept talking about EBITDA and discounted cash flows and present value and stuff of this nature. And one day I actually went to his office and I said, can I ask you a question? He says, what's that? I said, I have no idea what you mean when you say EBITDA. And he says, shut the door. And I said, <laughs> shut the door. And he goes, Mike, he goes, he was, he was one of my mentors. Um, he goes, Mike, he goes, I am so happy you asked me that question, but don't ask anyone else on this floor what the heck EBITDA is. And, um, and so he gave me like finance for dummies book, right? So I read finance for dummies, like a good person back and forth on airplane trips. And I realized at that moment in time that it was time for me to go truly learn the language of finance. Um, and that was rooted within my MBA. Um, and so off when I went to MBA. The other question, Joel, um, what, you know, what do you choose for your school, right? MBA is, is done for two reasons, to continue your education or to make a step change in your career, right? If you're continuing your education, you're satisfied with the enterprise that you are doing, then do an executive MBA program in, in conjunction with your employment and use the local network that you're going to develop through the local business school that's in your community to, to enhance your local, um, you know, your local network so you can be a better community steward. If you're looking for it to be a catalyst to the next level of another enterprise and you're looking at it as a career transition point, then I would say, you know, step back and go apply to some of the big, you know, big name, you know, business schools that do not allow executive MBAs or part-time MBAs or things of this nature that require full-time education and full-time students. Um, and use that then as a as a career step or, or a, a career change you know element for you. But you know, I went to Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, Florida, and met an amazing group of South Florida business leaders and got the got the education and curriculum that I was seeking. Those would be my thoughts for you, um, Joel and the and the team. Yeah, but Carl, you you do you have anything to weigh in on that? You hire a lot of JMOs. You're in a finance. Guy, you live in the finance world, for example. I think, and this is just my perception. I've heard even consulting might be a world where maybe the credential matters a little bit more. I don't know. That's just my kind of perception. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, what I find is um, because I'm a technology consultant, um, it's it's not as heavy as if you know you're you're trying to go into investment banking or uh, you want to go be a strategy consultant right so if, if your ultimate objective is to go work at McKinsey or BCG or Bain it, it's definitely the, the MBA will help you out if if you're looking to move into you know more general consulting uh, and you're looking at you know big four Accenture you know some of the other consulting firms that are out there are not necessarily corporate strategy consulting um, uh, an MBA, I, I would hold off on until you're you're at a latter stage in your career and you're starting to set strategic direction at like the practice or 
like the solution level, right? And you're starting to figure out, well, what solutions do I do I bring out to the market? How do I price them? What are clients looking to buy? Some some things that really come into play. Uh, if, if you look at the consulting space, it's really like running uh, a small business. Um, so as you get into running uh, a small business of your own, uh, the MBA becomes more helpful. Um, to, Carl, to Carl's point, our CFO, so at NextEra Energy Inc., right, we have two public tickers, NEE and NEP, um, combined reference is about $132 billion market cap company. Our CFO has an undergrad from Duke, period. Yeah, and then no, no MBA. Yeah, no, and, she, and she's CFO of, of you know one of the largest one of the one of the largest energy companies in the world. Which I want to hang on to this because here I just kind of summarize. I think what I hear from if we pull all this together is, especially those that are early on in their transition, instead of the eagerness to I need to get my MBA, it seems like what I've heard is the priority. If I could put these is relationships, mentors, um, kind of getting an idea of where do you see yourself in four or five years, then developing the relationships and mentors, delivering the results and getting the experience that gets you there versus that I think there's this assumption that this MBA becomes a ticket to get me there. Where what I hear, and this is what Roger Cameron always said, the MBA should be a tool, not necessarily a ticket, the tool that helps you be better at your job so that you know what EBITDA is and you can talk intelligently, at least ask intelligent questions about it. That's what I hear. Um, and, but I frankly, again, because I have only anecdotally what I hear from you all and my own experience at Cameron Brooks, which is a small company. I got my MBA in the School of Hard Knocks. Just, you know, we manage it along the way. We do our own marketing. We do our own finances. We have our own IT. It's a little easier. But that's what I hear. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the first half of this conversation with Melody, Carl, and Mike. Um, stay tuned for the next episode. The other half of the conversation will release it in two weeks.